When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Stremski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on all things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction of the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome. It is the Friday edition of the Ringer NFL Show. I am Ben Solak, as always, getting ready to walk you through week eight of the NFL season, joined by the last undefeated team in the NFL, Stephen Ruiz and Kalen Jones, because we've never gotten a pick wrong, and the Cardinals lost. And don't go back and check that. We definitely didn't get all of our picks wrong last week. Uh, fellas, how are we feeling? Uh, I'm not feeling too good, but I, I like you. <laughs> You said before we recorded, you, you know, you. I don't feel good that the Cardinals lost because I, I think they're an exciting team, a fun team, and I want to see them win and go into the playoffs. But I feel like all is right with the universe now that they have lost because they were like living on the edge for those first seven games. And then finally their luck kind of changed mm-hmm. against the Packers. And, then you know, we saw them lose. Yeah, I have a I have a young man who's been in my DMs for the uh... – I would say at least the last three years. Uh, he's an Eagles fan who just likes to tell me about how bad my takes are, and he just kind of just talks into the ether. I check on him every so often to make sure he's doing well. Uh, and he sent me most recently this past week uh, a criticism for how frequently I double down on my bad takes, which is why a take on which I've doubled down, which is the Cardinals are kind of facing some regression here. When it came through, I was like, and that's why we doubled down, baby. That's why we, we, we never admit we're never wrong. We should always just keep on going and waiting for something to break. Never wrong, just early. Yep, never wrong just early. Kalen, you've written a fair bit about Cliff and about the Cardinals. I think, right, like, this was expected. It's also not terrible. It's not like anything happened that you're like, oh, this is, you know, like every every defense is going to play them like this. Like, it was just, you know, uh, Kyler only made so many plays this time. Yeah, no, it's weird because I was actually encouraged by the Cardinals more in that loss than I was, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, they're a bad team. Like, I, I wasn't thinking they were a bad team. And even before that game, I wasn't necessarily thinking the Cardinals, you know, were full-blown overrated, right? I didn't think they were the best team in the NFC. I still thought that there were teams better, like the Buccaneers, the Rams, just to name a few. I still – it was weird waking up to talk TV, seeing people crown the Packers now all of a sudden and say that they're the best team in the NFC. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's kind of been a rite of passage for a lot of guys, you know, for all of us here at, at Ringer NFL to write about Cliff and or the Cardinals, you know, struggling or kind of being fool's, fool's gold. I don't think they're fool's gold anymore, but they, de- you know, they, they were due. They were mm-hmm. definitely due. They got some lucky, lucky games. When you talk about Matt Stafford not knowing how to complete a pass, uh, the, the Browns going through their entire fiasco. Granted, Cardinals mm-hmm. have had some adversity, but it was coming. Yeah, I think I, – I, I'll put it to you this way. I like that there's no undefeated teams left, in, no matter which was the last team to fall, Cardinals or whatever, because 
to me right now, like uh, Mayor, my my wife, who has absolutely no idea what's happening on a football field at any given time, was asking me like, oh, who's leading the MVP race? And I was like, eight dudes. She was like, well, who's the best team? I was like, seven. You know, it feels like a year where like there's a lot of, of chaos at the top. So I like the fact that no one's undefeated because I think it more accurately reflects the reality, which is this is uh, still a mess halfway through the season. Like we don't have a very clear group of contenders, in my opinion. It feels like the 2015 year when uh, the Panthers almost went undefeated. And like you knew the whole time, even me as a Panthers fan, I was like, okay, this is a, they're not actually an undefeated type team. This is like mm-hmm. a team that's just getting a lot of breaks. They're a good team, but this isn't a 16 and 0 quality team. And unfortunately for them, like it ended in the Super Bowl. Well, they, they lost before that. But yeah, I think it's probably a good thing that the Cardinals got this out of the way, the loss. And it came on a yeah. Thursday night, which those games are always, you know, kind of crazy. And they lost Hopkins early. I know the Packers didn't have Adams. But I agree with Kalen. Like, I kind of came away from this more optimistic about them because this was a test for that defense, which is so predicated on creating confusion for the quarterback. Well, when you do that to Davis Mills or even Baker Mayfield, all right, cool. But when you do it to Aaron Rodgers and kind of make him change his game, and maybe the wide receivers had to do with that, but he threw it short a lot. And I don't think the Packers were comfortable dealing with their blitzes, which changed their play calling a little bit. So, I, yeah, I come away thinking, oh, maybe this Cardinals defense can work against elite quarterbacks too. Not mm-hmm. Obviously, they gave up a lot of points to the Packers, but I thought they were competitive. Yeah, and now the Cardinals get the long week. Four of their remaining nine games are, are divisional games. Right? They get Dallas, they get Chicago. It's a tough stretch. So it's nice to kind of like – get the loss out of the way a little bit. And then, all right, long week, we can start looking at some stuff. Bye week coming up. We can start looking at some stuff. Uh, but yeah, so Car- can I add one thing? And I don't know. No. I haven't seen anyone say this, but <laughs> we, we've seen the Cardinals have had a lot of snaps, a lot of wild snaps that turn out to yep. be fumbles. How come nobody's bringing up the fact that it's probably because their quarterback is 5'6"? They're on their third center, Steven! Any other quarterback who's tall catches that snap on that last drive. It's because he's short. I think I'm much more so interested in the Kyler gets more roughing the passer and personal foul penalties because he's short. So the hitbox just isn't where you expect it to be. You're a defensive lineman. Rashawn Gary goes to grab a shoulder pad, gets face mask instead because Kyler's shorter. That's where I think... The edges. That's the exchange. You get a couple bad both? snaps. Why not both? For a Why couple personal, personal like pitching the uh, fouls, Jose yeah. Altuve. Yeah, exactly. Just, a different you, strike zone. You're just <laughs> you're just changing the game, downsizing. I like it. Uh, yeah, as a short man, I appreciate that. Go Cardinals, our short kings. We are moving on. We're previewing week eight. Uh, three segments on this show, as per usual. We start with games of the week. The biggest games coming up. We have a lot of divisional matchups. We're getting to that time of the year. We circled two this week that we really wanted to focus on with some teams we haven't really focused on so far, but are going to get their due now that they're really emerging in the middle of the season. Bucks Saints and Titans Colts. Steven, I want to start with Bucks Saints, your NFC South. Go Panthers. Uh, the Saints win a ugly one against the Seahawks. They don't look like a team at all off of that game that could hang with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we know that last year, uh, Dennis Allen and this defense played the Bucks really well, beat them up a couple of times as they were figuring out this offense. Do we expect that the Saints are going to make this divisional game close? This tends to be a really close rivalry, or is the talent differential just too much? Let me just say one thing. When we when we were planning the podcast in the middle of the week, we we were, you know, assigning the games of the week, and I get Bucks Saints, and I'm thinking, oh, that's a good game. But then I realize, like, I like to watch the film of the previous game to prepare, and I realize, oh, no, I have to watch Saints-Seahawks. <laughs> this is a game for pigs. This is a pig slop game. I hated watching this film. But my t- main takeaway from watching it was, 
oh yeah, maybe the talent just isn't there. The Saints, the 2021 Saints are basically the 2020 Patriots, but with an elite defense. And unfortunately, okay. I don't know if that elite defense is going to be able to hold up against this Bucks team that has so many weapons and then has Tom Brady pulling the strings. But as you point out, Dennis Allen has kind of had Tom Brady's number over the last three games, even in the playoff game. I think Brady turned it over a couple of times. It wasn't a good showing for Brady in the playoff game. And obviously the saints blew him out in the two regular season games. So I think that's what I'm going to be watching. Like the kind of, kind of the evolution of this Bucks offense from year one to year two, how has it changed? How has it changed going up against a team that, has a scheme that's kind of suited to stopping what they do because they play a lot of too high and they have a lot of coverage tools they can use to take away some of Brady's favorite weapons based on down and distance. So if the Bucks are able to score 25 plus or something like that, the offense looks good. I'm willing to say they're the best team in the NFL. And I know we've been talking about, you know, the Cardinals being the best team because they were seven and no, now the Packers beat them. So now we're going to say the Packers are the best team, but I think it's still the Bucks, and I think they're going to prove it this Sunday. I'm curious. Uh, you said they got a lot of coverage tools to take away the top targets relative to down and distance. Just to, to understand that, do you have like an example of something that they do? Yeah, so uh, I'll go back to the first matchup last year. They did a lot of different coverages that allowed them to bracket the seams, like Mike Evans on the seam, uh, Gronk, Chris Godwin. They they covered Chris Godwin with when, uh, with. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, but I think they play a lot of like uh, college-type coverages where they're playing too high and bracketing guys, bracketing those seam guys and forcing Brady to make difficult throws to the perimeter. Now, Brady has been making those throws at a high rate this year. At the beginning of last year, it was kind of a struggle. So I think this is going to be a test for where Brady's at, and I think he's playing at an MVP level. And uh, I think they do a good job of taking away the run game. And I know like the Bucks don't win because of their run game but it does set up a lot of their play action shots because they run and they've game. been better running the football this year they have like obviously they've been better passing it i think more people care about that but they have been better running it yeah yeah they have a good run game this year last year was kind of inconsistent but i do think the play action element of their offense is big for their shot plays just because of how well it meshes with the duo run game so i like this is a good matchup for the saints defense right they have a good defensive line that they can stop the run while still playing too high, they have these tool these tools to cover up the Bucks' favorite pass concepts. But it comes down to talent, and I think that's going to be the deciding factor. And I think this is going to answer the question whether the Saints have enough talent to compete with them in in the division. Yeah, that ability to get brackets on slots and brackets on tight ends when you're living in a too high world is really important and really critical because at the college level, what you're saying is you can't throw it to the outside receiver because your quarterback doesn't have a strong enough arm, right? The hashes in college are wider, so that that out route is even further away, and it's just college-level players. They don't have a strong enough arm. So if you're not going to throw to that outside receiver, we're just going to put one guy on him, and we're going to spend more resources on these interior guys. What you're saying in the NFL is Marshawn Lattimore is very good, <laughs> so we're going to rely on him to go play outside with Mike Evans. And listen, is it going to be like a DK Metcalf fist fight? Sometimes. Like, that's one of the best things about Marshawn is he doesn't take no guff. Uh, and obviously his history with Evans is a lot of fun. Um, but we're going to put him on the outside. We're going to ask him to make his money and, and, and go cover Evans one-on-one. And then that's going to let us put multiple guys on Godwin. Because if we let Brady get 
free access where, where you're getting an in and out release, right? A two way release from that slot with Goblin or with uh, Rob Gronkowski or Antonio Brown is obviously not in this game, but just theoretically, uh, we don't have anybody like it's so hard to get a slot corner good enough to play that two way go. So we're going to bracket and we're going to trust Marshall and Lattimore on the outside. And I feel like in the NFL, you have to concede something. Mm-hmm. And it just makes so much sense to concede that outside throw because even for NFL quarterbacks, it's still a difficult throw. It's still the most difficult throw they can make. Now, Tom Brady is very capable of making those throws over and over and over again. But you can't live in a world where you're giving up the middle of the field and giving up those seams to Tom Brady or you're going to get gashed. And I feel like the Saints aren't going to do that. I still think the Saints are the, the Bucks win comfortably. I just think it's probably closer than we all think it will be based on talent level. And I will just say this about the, the Saints offense. Oh, my. It's it's bad. It's just bad. Like The my, players so, uh, are bad. I don't think the play calling has been good either. Oh, right, I'm putting this on Sean Payton. I don't think it's been that good. I, I wanted to ask Kalen this because yeah. in my head, right, we, everybody was excited for what is Sean Payton going to do with Jameis Winston. And when I when, when, we, when we just look at a box score for Jameis, he's completing fewer than 60% of his passes, which is bad relative to his career. But uh, he's throwing a touchdown on 8.6% of his throws, which is a little bit inflated by the Green Bay game, but whatever. He's averaging 8.2 adjusted yards per attempt, one of the best numbers of his career. 12.5 yards per catch, one of the best numbers of his career. His rating right now, uh, a quarterback rating is 102.4, which is by far the best number of his career. He's only taken 11 sacks, really not that bad given Jameis t- trends. Only three interceptions, definitely not that bad on Jameis trends. Why aren't we talking about the Sean Payton era Jameis Winston as a win. Why aren't we talking about this as like they've improved him. They've made him into a a more steady franchise quarterback. Because we're so concerned. I mean, from that perspective, you're, you're so concerned about him not making mistakes. You know, the joke is, you know, he had 30 interceptions or whatever it was during, you know, when he uh, tail spun out of Tampa Bay. But the thing is, while he's being a lot safer, while you can say he's, you know, arguably being much more efficient with the football in New Orleans, even as their starter, the problem is they're not hitting on any of those explosive plays, and that was always the trade-off with Jameis Winston. That's who he is. You're going to, you know, suffer the setbacks. You're going to suffer the weird interceptions with, you know, him hitting on a lot of explosives. New Orleans is 30th in explosive play rate. They're 30th in uh, explosive run rate and explosive pass rate. Their offense, and I, I mean, it gives credence to what Steven's saying. The offense simply is not generating enough big plays. And I mean, that's great that Jameis Winston's being safe with the football, but he's not playing his game, and they're not moving the ball offensively, and it's disgusting to watch. What's the, what's the play calling concern? Okay, let me, let me read off this. This is from Sports Info Solutions. These are, I, and I think these are things that help a quarterback not only like avoid mistakes, but hit on explosive plays. No huddle, 32nd in the league in usage, last place. Shotgun, 31, or 31st. Motion, 28th. Play action, 24th. RPO, 21st. Like, they're not really giving him shortcuts. It's a lot of condensed formations, a lot of heavy personnel, bad receivers, and it's just like Jameis, I don't even know what they're trying to do. I think they're just trying to make him avoid mistakes, but there's no explosive element, and I don't even think they're really trying all that much. Like, there are a couple shot plays per game, but it's one read and then check down. It's not like a, a go route and then a backside dig necessarily. And that's what right. Jameis was really good at in Tampa Bay. I know it came with interceptions, but I feel like they're 
there's a schematic way to allow him to be that explosive passer and avoid those mistakes. And for me, that's just like play action. Like study what Jameis did well that last year in Tampa with Bruce Arians. He made a lot of plays. He threw 35 touchdowns. He threw for 5,000 yards. Like he made plays. The problem was the interceptions. And I think if you add some of those route concepts where he has multiple options deep, but you add in a play action fake that maybe, you know, draws up the linebackers, he avoids those interceptions because what the one thing we know is Jameis loves to throw to linebackers. That's when he throws his interceptions. Yeah, it 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 you want to look at this game and go, okay, uh, D Delaney, Pierre Desir. We know that Tampa Bay's run defense is bananas. Let's just throw it to the wideouts. Well, they, the the Saints don't really spread you out, so they're not going to force you to put those defensive backs on the field, right? By putting three receivers out there, four receivers out there, by going in wide formations. Uh, and even if they do target, right, Marquez Callaway and Deontay Harris and Kenny Stills and Trayvon Smith, you're just like, okay, like we'll live with that. You know what I mean? Like, to me, the biggest concern, Bucks defense versus Saints offense, is if we don't have Levante David, how are we dealing with Alvin Kamara out of the backfield? Because that's what we saw with Seattle, right? We saw, all right, we're going to send guys into the concept with the hope that you're going to zone drop. And then if you zone drop, we're just going to give it to Kamara and ask him instead of saying, all right, make a play behind these six blockers with these seven def- defenders in front of you make a play with just one defender in front of you. We're just going to replace your handoffs with quick targets, and we're going to ask you to make a play in space. And it turns out Alvin Kamara is the best dude in the entire world to do that for, uh, and you're able to walk your way down the field with running back targets, which is just simply not how it's supposed to go. I think that works against, works against Seattle because it's such a heavy zone drop team. Tampa does zone drop, but usually they're sending blitzes too. And I'm not sure it's going to be as easy to get to your hots. I'm not sure you're going to like having James in the pocket under pressure. Like that's that that's the thing is it feels like it should be easy to attack this Bucks defense given the weaknesses they have with the injury they've occurred. But I don't think the Saints are built for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think one of the ways to attack the Bucks defense is keeping them in base. And obviously, the Saints you know, employ a lot of personnel groupings that draw base defense from the defense. They just don't have the tools to exploit that this year. And I think that's going to be the problem. Right. It's like, it would be awesome if like Adam Troutman had looked like what they were hoping he would look like their, their tight end. He was a third round pick out of Dayton, I think two years ago. Uh, It'd be awesome if he were like coming along, you'd be like, this could be a big Troutman game. Like this is where you rely on him. They haven't really gotten him going. You know what I mean? And that's the thing is they haven't really gotten, anything going behind Anybody. besides Camara, right and, and and kind of picking their matchup so the bucks are five and a half point favorites i agree that uh, steve i think it's gonna be closer than people expect just because i have a lot of trust in, in da and dennis allen and, and the way that they've prepared for this bucks offense but uh brady i can't remember who says this who said this this week but brady has a tendency to remember when teams embarrass him and the saints embarrassed him last year i i i think it'll be close but i i think the bucks get it done yeah, I'm going to take the Bucks by seven. I think they cover, actually, but I think it is a game in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm almost tempted to take the Saints just for the sake of somebody having it different. And Yeah, well, we, we were, we we were consensus on our two games last week, and we were consensus Chiefs and consensus Ravens. And All right, I got, you, I got you, Caleb. I, I, got, I, I got you. I'm the taking Saints. the Saints. Oh, oh, you were, oh, man, see, this is the thing. I was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll be All right, then you got, him, you got him. I'll take the Saints. There okay. we go. I got oh, the Saints. Now I'm the lone wolf on the Bucks, and I feel like that. <laughs> no, no, I'm not... back on the Bucks. I'm back on okay, the Bucks. Okay, He's back okay. On the Bucks. I'll be like, I just lucked into a tremendous opportunity here. Whatever. Uh, our other divisional game, 
Titans at Colts, yet another game where we're not getting, uh, we're getting a replay of this. Actually, this was played earlier in the season, but another game where you have a team that's clearly uh, surging right now in the Titans and a team in the Colts who's wants to pick up some momentum. who wants to stay in this divisional race. Kalen, this one's yours. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz, just a clash of Titans. What are we looking for here? Oh man, I'm trying to remember what that, there was some guy on Twitter who this week called all three of us out for, and especially me for saying that the Chiefs were definitely going to beat the Titans. So shouts out to mm-hmm. that guy. I can't remember your name, but thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> I'm also going to pick against the Titans again this week. Um, let's get into that. Um, obviously, Derrick Henry stopping him is going to be the name of the game for the Colts, whether or not you know they can slow down. Who Roger Sherman wrote about this week, You know he looks like he's going to go down as one of the best all-time running backs in league history. He's probably going to crack 2,000 yards again this year. The thing is... I think that the Colts going into this matchup have a much better chance than they did in that first game where they lost um, 25-16, gave up 11 points in the second half, only scored six. Um, This is really – if we hadn't made this a game of the week, I would have uh, voted for this to be a must-win. It's a cool stat from NFL.com. Like each of the past four seasons, the winner of the second meeting between these two teams, um, the winner has advanced to the playoffs, which is pretty fascinating. Mm. Um I think that Indianapolis is better overall. Uh, Football Outsiders agrees with me. They're 15th in DVOA overall, 17th in offense, 12th in defense, which is like perfectly average. The Titans, 20th overall, 13th in offense, 22nd in defense. We're going to credit a lot of that to Derrick Henry and what he sets up for Ryan Tannehill in the passing game. Um, In that first matchup, Carson Wentz was, you know, he had just turned into the, the chocolate salesman from SpongeBob, you know, broken every bone in his body. Just kidding, he only had the two sprained ankles. But that was his first game dealing with that. And I think, honestly, throughout this season, and I, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, Ben, because you're an Eagles fan, but he's been perfectly average, which is about what I expected. I know a lot of people thought he was done after last season where he looked like the worst quarterback in football, but he's been pretty average this year. And I think that's really all Indianapolis needs him to be to not only, you know, win this game, but compete in the division. Um, I, I do think that it'll be interesting to see whether the Colts defense, um, their 18th and explosive run rate can slow down Derrick Henry. But so long as Carson Wentz doesn't make too many boneheaded mistakes, I think he had two picks in that first meeting. Um, the, the, I think that the Colts should be able to pull this one off. Yeah, that's the thing is with Wentz is the – EPA per play numbers as of the last few weeks look great. Uh, drop back EPA, right? Uh, I want to say he's top five over the last four weeks, and obviously he's gotten some nice defense there. Houston, we've seen this Baltimore Ravens defense get pa- picked on in the passing game, though they're kind of weird. Whatever. Uh, but EPA per play looking great. Uh, air yards down the field, right? Uh, they're they're pushing the ball deeper and deeper with every week. The the addition of T. Y. Hilton, the return of Quentin Nelson, both of those help them get the ball further down the field. They're drawing DPIs downfield, which are obviously very high EV plays. Michael Michael Pittman's doing a great job uh, winning his contested balls. All that's awesome. The good plays that made Wentz really good that were absent in Philadelphia last year seem to be back, and that yeah. puts the ceiling in a very nice place. The bad plays in Philadelphia last year, which handicapped the team, <laughs> are persisting, right? And that's that's the thing is I would love like Wentz is average because over the course of a game those poles come together and re an average right. place, right? If you look at like the variance on a snap to snap, that's where I get worried, right? There's like a sixty yard ball on a dot 
to T.Y. Hilton. Michael Pittman, 55 yards down the field and a nine ball sick. And then he's just trying to throw a shovel pass to a linebacker. And you're like, <laughs> brother, no, this was good. You don't have to, you know. And that's what it, it is, right? Like people talk about changing the mechanics and, and, and improving that and whatever. But the biggest shift that needed to happen was Wentz needed to mentally accept the idea that there are plays that he loses. There are plays in which he will not be able to heroically pull his team from out of a massive deficit, a huge hole, a bad situation, and make a positive play. Sometimes the defense just wins. And I think right now they're getting a lot more of his positive plays, which is great. But then the negative plays are kind of still hanging around. He tried to throw a lot of picks in a monsoon against the 49ers. And that's what I'm worried about is just that that we'll never know which Wentz we're getting. It'll be a little bit of, oh, Halloween here, a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde, ho, 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 uh, in terms of like what Wentz we get on a, on a given Sunday. Meanwhile, uh, new offense coordinator Todd Downing in Tennessee came out in week one and had absolutely no idea what he was doing. It was right. horrible against the Cardinals. And since then, in the same way that like Wentz has settled in with the Colts, Downing kind of went back to basics, started pushing the buttons that worked last year, got healthy, A.J. Brown back, got Julio back, uh, Derrick Henry, obviously, the volume's nuts. And this looks kind of like it always has, right? That's my question for you, Steven, is like, we've seen this Titans team go to the playoffs in back-to-back years using this formula. Are We should be expecting them to do it again this year, right? Because it's all the same. Well, <laughs> I'm still concerned about the defense. I know it played yeah. better last week, obviously. But I think that's just Chiefs, just whatever's going on in Kansas City. But, yeah, I agree with you. Like, he's pushing the right buttons. That was my concern before the season. Was he going to be stubborn and go back to how he called plays in Oakland when he wasn't using a lot of play action and he wasn't using the same run concepts that Tennessee has used over the last couple of years? But, I mean, over the last six weeks or whatever it is, it, this looks like 2020, 2019 Tennessee. This looks like Arthur Smith, Tennessee, the glance routes over the middle, the off play action. Uh, and I think it's going to work. And I'm picking – I'm picking the Titans in this one. I agree with with what Kalen has said, but I just can't pick this defense. I'm sorry. I hate this defense <laughs> so much. This uh, this Colts defense? <laughs> yes, they run two fronts. They run two coverages. They run cover two, Tampa two, or cover three. They, they're they in a 4-2-5 nickel, or they're in a 4-3 base defense. I just can't, I don't know. I just can't do it. I can't pick them. Let me. So I think this is an important question. The reason why I'm I'm I'm, I'm devil's advocating you here is we just talked Saints Bucks, and we've talked a lot of times in this podcast about how defenses are moving to two high shells, and it's great. Matt Everflus, Colts defense coordinator, has been shit, sitting in two two high shells for the last five years. So why isn't that great? Because there's no. He doesn't have variations of it. Like when you see too high from Dennis Allen, you see you know man match quarters you see quarters you see pattern matching you see palms you see all these different things like uh i I'm, i don't even want to name all these coverages because you guys don't know what they are but and i barely know what they are <laughs> but you see like a sabin like defense a nick sabin like defense when you see everflus's defense you see the 2002 bucks playing tampa too except they don't have Derek brooks and they don't have warren Sapp. so that's the problem and for this matchup I think to beat Ryan Tannehill, the best way to do it is to change the picture after the snap and make him think after the snap. And I Mm -hmm. don't think he's going to have to do that against the Colts. He's going to know what coverage they're in based on how they align pre-snap. And I think that's going to help him tremendously. I would not be surprised if he has a big game. Yeah, that's the thing is one of the things you hear quarterbacks talk about in the play action conversation is that some quarterbacks don't like running play action from under center 
a lot of them are veterans, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, because they don't like turning their back to the defense because they'll pre-snap think, I have this. They'll turn their back to execute the play-action fake, and when they come back around, the defense has changed, and now they have to re-figure out what's going on post-snap. And they'd rather run play-action from the gun or drop back from center, anything that lets them keep their eyes on the defense, because then they can catch that change. They can see it happen in real time, makes it easier for them to adjust. If you can change the picture pre- and post-snap when facing the Titans' defense, I mean, Tannehill's going to turn his back to you literally 25 times a game. You're going to get a huge advantage there. Uh, the Colts line up and play. And they got some really high-paid guys in this defense right now. Uh, uh, Darius Leonard, huge contract. DeForest Buckner, huge contract. And they're good ball players. Um, but if they're not dominating, then when you're in lineup and play mode, you're going to get waxed. And you'll notice I didn't name a corner because they continue not investing in that position. And they got Julio and AJ coming to town. Uh, so I'm with you. I think the Titans score 30-plus. Uh, and I think, you know, we haven't seen this Colts defense hold derrick henry to fewer than 100 yards since i want to say like 2019 you know what i mean like i think it, it we just know the titans offense is a really good matchup against this defense i don't envision anything changing i'm with you i'm, t- I'm taking tennessee by i think this is a game where Wentz's luck kind of bounces back the other way and then some of those interception interceptable passes start to get caught i think he turns it over a couple times because he's going to have to keep pace with his offense that i do think is going to score a lot of points like ben predicted so I'll say the Titans. I think the Titans win comfortably. Damn, I'm all alone on Colts Island. Shouts out to that Titans fan. Um, I'm taking the Colts, man. Like I'm even looking at, you know, the the last game that Tannehill played against this team. Like there there were success like on the seam routes. I think he threw like two touchdowns on seams or whatever. But you know, over the middle is where he threw two picks. I mean, that's where he does a lot of his damage. I think it was Dan Pizzuto who had uh, the chart that was floating around on Twitter this past week about how often he targets the middle of the field. And granted, you know, it, it is kind of bland coverage, but I think that if they're off, if the Colts offense, again, like if Wentz finds a way to not turn over the football, I think that's literally the difference between them winning and losing. Yeah, and, and the thing is, right, if Wentz isn't turning the ball over, it's explosives. And explosives are great against this Titans team because yep. right now the secondary is – so bad and i'm with you steven on doubting the titans defense altogether but that front's been playing better over the last couple weeks which again tremendous example of paying bud dupree's that daquan jones jeffrey simmons and harold landry can go and be your good players nothing better (laughs) than when the big free agent signing just gets absolutely outclassed by a the middle tier free agent signing and daquan jones great player and then b the The, incumbent guys who already played well. the titans very clearly do not understand the concept of a contract year because they signed bud dupree and meanwhile, their contract year guys are, like, having the best years of their career. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm with the Titans. That's a weird one. If if I, if either of these underdogs win, Colts or Saints, it makes the division really fun moving forward. So I hope we get at least one of those. And we have a couple more divisions we're going to talk about as well. Because to me, that's fun. Games that you need games is our second category of the week. Uh, it's where we talk about the games that weren't games of the week, but also aren't the bad games, and we kind of just need to talk about them in a little bit of a fun way. We got five of them this week. Uh, we like to start, as always, with our must-win game, which belongs to the inimitable Steven Ruiz. Uh, Steven, I could not have ever predicted we'd get here in the beginning of the season, but here we are with your must-win game. Take it away. The Chiefs got to win. Chiefs got to win, baby. Chiefs got to win. If they don't They're win, on the fringe of the playoff conversation. Oh man, if they don't, if they don't beat the Giants at home, I'm just gonna log off for the week. I know I've threatened this before. I might just take <laughs> off. 
I've been feeling a little sick anyway, so I can use as, that as an excuse. But I'm just going to log off and not do anything about football. I don't want to hear – we're going to be hearing stuff about his uh, Mahomes' brother recording TikToks on the sideline, like any of that matters. I, uh, I, I'm just done with this Chiefs talk because I feel like people are focusing on the wrong thing. And I know we're going to do a timeline therapy about this, and let's just get into it. Like, I'm why say, are, it's yours, right? You can take it there. You're in charge, why are brother. We, why are we focusing on Patrick Mahomes – when they have the worst defense in the league and maybe one of the worst defenses in NFL history. That's why they're losing. It has nothing to do with Mahomes. I know he had a bad game against the Titans, but that was the first bad game of his career, like literally. Oh, the Super Bowl, I guess. But <laughs> he has not been the problem. No. Well, here, Everyone so else thing. has been the problem. Right. I, I, this is a little bit of like a stupid way to say this because it's not like, oh, like show me, you know, like it's not like an indie band. You're like, oh, were you talking about them in 2018? But – Mahomes has not been taking responsible drops since the day he walked into the league. At no time has Mahomes been properly dropping back in the pocket. It has never happened. And there was a great, there was a moment in like, I want to say it was 2019, where ESPN's Mina Kimes, in some response to some Patrick Mahomes thing, was like, what is it that he does badly? And I responded literally with, his drops are bad, but it doesn't matter. Well, it's finally started to matter. And why it matters has nothing to do with Mahomes and everything to do with the other dudes. Now, after the Super Bowl, there was that time in which, you know, uh, like Kevin Clark went to uh, Kansas City and talked to Mahomes about what do you want to do? Like, what have you learned from the Super Bowl loss? He was like, I want to get better at like, getting a four-man rush managing the pocket. Well, through seven weeks, he hasn't. So Mahomes set this goal for himself and he hasn't hit it. Okay, like that's a, that is a thing that we can talk about. Another thing we could talk about is the fact that defensively they're nowhere. The fact that they've had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey as their best receivers for the past three seasons and have not been able to cycle anybody in above that. Like, there's so much more impactful things going on that's making this very small, very minute Patrick Mahomes problem magnified. So it's not like it, it, we shouldn't have just been discovering this, what I'm saying. Like, oh, he's doing this. He always has been. It's the other stuff that matters here. And it's also one of those things where him dropping back, like dropping back deeper, helps him play the style of play he likes to do. Like, right? It, it's part of his game. I don't think you could be Patrick Mahomes without that aspect of his game. And we've seen how effective that style of play has been. Obviously, he's setting records for the his first three years or four years. I, I, I can't with the the Chiefs' offense analysis anymore. I just, it's, I'm over it. Like last year, we had to deal with this. It was like. The middle of the year, they had a couple bad games in a row, and everyone was like, oh, there's a blueprint for stopping the Chiefs. Watch the film and, and tell me what that blueprint is. Because <laughs> you, you can't find common themes except for taking away the deep ball. Guess what? You know, Every team in the NFL goes into the week trying to take away explosive plays. That is nothing right. new or exclusive to the Chiefs. They're just succeeding this year, right? And there's a lot that goes into that. What's ridiculous is, like, th this is kind of similar to – or it's like the antithesis of – how we talked about the Seahawks last year, right? Like, remember when the Seahawks even started the year? Mm -hmm. Like, it was the worst or whatever defense, pass defense through the first seven weeks of the season or whatever. And we, as media, as football fans, observers, whatever, we obviously pointed to, like, the Seahawks defense was bad. Russell Wilson was playing at an MVP level, but the, C the Seahawks defense was bad. This is the same thing that's happening, narratively, narratively speaking, with – the Chiefs, like from an anecdotal standpoint, the Chiefs defense is awful. And I don't know if it's because there is no confirmation bias. I guess like when 
you know, the Seahawks made the trade for Jamal Adams. Everyone was like, you know, there's a reason to, you know, talk shit on the Seahawks and their decision-making on defense and their investments there. I can't say the same for the Chiefs. I think everyone agrees that uh, Chris Jones, great investment, Tyron Matthew, great investment. The biggest question mark has been Frank Clark, who hasn't been able to generate any pressure whatsoever this year. But, uh, I mean, it's really fascinating that, the leniency that was shown for the Seahawks and Russell Wilson last year is not shared with Patrick Mahomes this year, especially when you guys are saying the issues with, with Mahomes have already been known. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll add this to the uh, the Russell Wilson thing. I think that was more of a storyline because the Seahawks had changed at least halfway through the year how they called their offense. Like they were letting Russ cook. That was the mm-hmm. big the big storyline right, over the right, first right. month was they're throwing the ball at a high rate and defense is adjusted. The Chiefs aren't doing anything different. This is the same no. Chiefs offense we've seen since 2018. And right. it's not like defenses were in like 2018 not thinking, oh, we should take away Tyree Kill on the deep ball. Like that's been a thing since 2018. I, yeah, I don't get it. Right. And I think the, the the salient point with Russ and with Mahomes and with like Rodgers even, when, when there was the conversation about Rodgers being bad in like 2018, you know, 2019-ish, whatever, everything like – if there's any, the the best paradigm for any sort of granular discussion about football, player level, team level, whatever, is that everything comes with a cost. Like Steven said it at talking about Buck Saints. Like you you have to cover what you can cover and then whatever's gonna beat you is gonna beat you. You gotta make that choice. When it comes to quarterback play style, there is another side to every coin. There is a second edge to every sword. You do not get to beat Patrick Mahomes without doing some things that are objectively bad process. If teams can get you to a spot where you you have to lean on that bad process and they can they can attack that bad process. Congratulations to them. But in the case of Mahomes, number one, it took them like four years, and number two, it was a lot of the Chiefs doing. It was a lot of the issues that they've had retooling this offensive line, adding pass catchers, the the the, the addition of personnel, the defense's inability to get off the field, and then just straight luck with some of, with the turnovers that the Chiefs are suffering, like. The cost for Mahomes is so worth it because of how incredible he is, but there's always a cost to everything. No player is just good. There's always a price. And let's just point out the fact that they're still number one in points per drive and number one in yards per drive. (laughs) Right. They're still the best offense in the league, last week notwithstanding, but for the first seven or six weeks, they are the best offense in the league and, like, historically good at not punting the football. Now we take this – and transition it into the second timeline therapy of the week, which, yes, we're getting to that time of the year. We're going to have multiple timeline therapies in the week, which means it will be multiple instances of me talking really fast and forgetting to breathe because I'm getting pissed off. <laughs> Justin Fields the Chicago Bears. Quarterbacks and, oh, no. and play styles and prices. Right. So uh, the Bears host the 49ers this week in what would be an extremely interesting game. It's going to be very run heavy. Both defensive lines are banged up. It's going to be weird. Uh my timeline therapy for this week is on the conversation around Justin Fields, which began because Fields took another inordinate number of sacks against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he now is leading the league by a mile in sack rate on offense. Uh, this from Ben Baldwin of rbsdm.com. Uh, Justin Fields' sack rate is around 14.5%. Uh, the next closest starting quarterback is Russell Wilson, who is at about 10%. It is a massive massive difference huge delta between fields and wilson and of course one of the prevailing 
ideas that we've gotten from public football analytics over the last few years is that quarterbacks control their sack rates. By which you know we hear them say quarterback is, is or sacks is a quarterback stat. Excuse me, and that's very accurate. Because, again, play style is the dictator here. Play style is the driving force. Russell Wilson holds onto the football. Patrick Mahomes holds onto the football. Kyler Murray holds onto the football. They have perennially some of the longest time to throws in the league, and we should even specify that and say a higher percentage of their throws taking more than 2.5 seconds. What that's saying is they are spending time holding the ball in the pocket, waiting for things to develop, making guys miss, screwing around back there, extending the play because they like to push the ball down the field. That invites pressures and it invites sacks. For as much as you can improve your offensive line, if the quarterback is going to choose to hold onto the football, He's going to invite sacks. So we take that idea, which we've learned and understood, and we extrapolate it onto Justin Fields, who came out of Ohio State with high sack rates and long time to throws very clearly. And when you would put on the film and watch him, you would see this guy likes to hold on to the football. He likes to extend plays. He likes to make stuff happen. You would also can watch and argue that he has a bit of an elongated throwing process, that other quarterbacks have that quick little uh, you know, uh, J-path, which is where they, they put the ball up into the throwing motion, a quick release, and they're able to, to trigger fast on the quick game, and that's not how Justin Fields plays. It's also worth noting that Justin Fields was the highest-graded intermediate passer in like the last 10 years of college for, for PFF or whatever. Freaking like top 10 deep passer in all of college football last year. So this was the cost. This was the price. They had an unbelievable intermediate deep passing game at the cost of fields, holding on to the ball a little bit longer, more sacks, more hits. He comes in to the NFL and immediately starts taking a ton of sacks. And this is now a good second tenant for like all things football. Whenever a guy is so polar, he's so far above the rest of the group. It's never just one explanation. It's never just one. It is impossible for one dude to be that keep the ball happy that he's getting sacked on 15% of his dropbacks. So he is holding on to the ball, and he is trying to extend plays. And that's Fields, and there are absolutely 100% sacks on Fields' film in which he's holding on to the ball for too long, and he's trying to extend plays. He should just get rid of it. There is also a very high number of sacks on Justin Fields' film in which a man named Lachavius Simmons, who allegedly plays right tackle for the Chicago Bears, is just getting absolutely boat raced. He's just not blocking anybody. Like, there feels a good way of measuring like how a quarterback works the pocket is, is start caring about what happens at the top of his drop. Once he gets his last foot in the ground, he stops dropping back. That's when he's supposed to be delivering the football. There were multiple sacks against the Bears where by the time Fields hit the top of his drop, Shaquille Barrett was in the backfield. J.C. Pierre-Paul was in the backfield. He can't release it. You can't just stop dropping and release the ball. It's not legal. You get a penalty or something. I don't know. It's impossible. So, Justin Fields is taking a lot of sacks. A good part of that is his fault. A, a very good part of that is the offensive line's fault. Another very good part of that is the offensive play calling and the design's fault and trying to figure that all out. And I think that I priority for the Bears on offense should be let's get our rookie quarterback hit last we saw what happened to Joe Burrow last year he was getting hit a lot and then obviously incurred major injury and that's a very scary thing we should protect our investments but if we are going to sit here and say a fields is awesome and the, the Bears offensive line is entirely to blame or b quarterback stat uh, sacks or quarterback stat fields is is always going to take 15 percent of the snaps at sacks or this is all fields fault both of those are ludicrous ideas uh the Bears offensive line is bad and their rookie quarterback likes to hold on to the football, and their offensive play caller and designer has no idea how to solve this problem. It is a bad 
conglomerate of things. It is a gnarly potion, and I don't know what the short-term solution is for Chicago. Thank you. That is my time. Wow. <laughs> you, you you should be a preacher. You, that was oh, a spiritual experience. That was a great rant, man. That my was dad, a spiritual my, experience. My dad is a priest. So this is what we're, we're tapping in, baby. Okay. All right? Okay. Proselytizing. Yeah. Right, let me, let me uh, address the... The notion that film guys that were high on Justin Fields are clinging to their pre-draft analysis, and, and that's why they're defending Justin Fields. Mm. I don't think that's the case. I think the guys that watched the film pre-draft saw this type of quarterback and knew how he had to win, and, and Ben alluded to this during his rant. And we're seeing that same guy on film in Chicago. It's not a surprise to us. This is what we expected. It's the same with Mac Jones. Like... I know Mac Jones is like performing well uh, in PFF's grading, but for me, I watch Mac Jones, and I was critical of Mac Jones before the draft. But I'm seeing the same guy I saw on on film at Alabama. That like that's the point. I'm not going to change my prior until I see something different. And this is kind of what you expected, especially behind a bad offensive line. We know Justin Fields holds the ball. That's kind of like why he's as good as he was at Ohio State. It's because he's tough in the pocket and he can. You know, hold hold up against pressure, and he's going to throw downfield with guys in his face. That's why the Bears drafted him in the first round. If he wasn't doing that and he was getting rid of the ball quickly, then congratulations, you're Andy Dalton. Like, we don't want that. We want to see him hold the ball. And he's showing enough flashes for me not to lose faith in that. He's the player I expected to see in this environment that he's in. If you had told me, oh, he's going to play behind a bad offensive line, Allen Robinson's going to look washed all year, so he doesn't have a downfield target really outside of Darnell Mooney. Yeah, I would have expected this. So, yeah, I'm not changing my take. <laughs> All right. Kalen, how are you feeling? <laughs> I feel good, man. This is this is church. This is church. Um, bless y'all. What is it? Solak 316, Ruiz 323. There we go. Um, I, I don't – but that's the thing. Like, I, I don't have anything additional to add because it's just parroting your guys' point. Like, when I was watching back through the Bears game, Last week again, one like you're saying, Ben, their their offensive line for all for all this talk about now, and I think there's a little bit of laziness on football fans' part. We hear you know the the phrase now, sacks are a quarterback stat, so people are like, wow, it's on the quarterback officially when you know your eyes can literally tell you that right tackle had no business trying you know to defend Shaq Barrett last week. So there, there's definitely going to be moments again, like like Stephen mentioned. This is who Justin Fields is. He needs to play in a system where, you know, there's max protections. He's allowed to look downfield, hit intermediate and deep stuff. I don't know how much play action they've been using, but it didn't seem like there was a lot. And it falls back again on Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor. I don't know how much, say, Lazor has anymore because the one week where he was play calling, it seemed like everything was going well. I don't know if he's still in charge of that, but they need to get back to what makes Justin Fields a good player. And... You know, plain and simple, like, and we've said it before, like, that. that's the mark of a bad football coach is not being mm-hmm. able to, you know, adjust to the skill set of the players that you have. And they've failed to do that, you know, for now five games he's been the starter. Yeah. I My now personal policy on this podcast moving forward is no one's allowed to talk to me about Justin Fields' sacks unless they can prove in writing that they knew who Latavia Simmons was before last Sunday. Thank you. Uh, Steven, I have you canceling a team in this game. I honestly don't remember which team it is. Uh, it, was the, it was the 49ers, but we okay, could just cool. cancel the whole game. <laughs> yep. That, uh, a good game to cancel. Uh, watch for Elijah Mitchell versus Khalil Herbert. That'll be fun. Uh, I don't know why I'm giving extra reasons. I don't need to be doing that right now. 
I have a spoiler alert, um, which is the game Patriots at Chargers. Chargers coming off of their bye week, a game that I'm actually really, really, really excited to see. Patriots have been finding more of a downfield passing attack in recent weeks. They go up against the Chargers, who are the best defense in the league at limiting explosive passing plays. Uh, the Chargers coming off of that bye, Brandon Staley said that they want to become a prolific early down team. Justin Herbert with the third lowest A dot of all quarterbacks on early downs. That's first and second downs. So trying to find a way to uh, not force Herbert to be a third down hero by actually picking up some significant yardage in first and second down. Chargers' run defense is terrible. Patriots' running game has been really good, especially with Damian Harris back in the entire offensive line getting healthy. All of this to say, no Austin Eckler in this game, who's the the key outlet, the the driving force behind a lot of these Chargers' short yardage stuff. Patriots are four-point dogs on the road. My spoiler alert is I think the Patriots win it. Uh, This seems like the sort of game where Belichick's going to just run the ball all over los angeles and okay if you're gonna give us underneath targets cool like we'll we we've been doing that with jacoby myers all year right especially what once uh james white went out with injury like jacoby just became their underneath guy and he's a eddie steady dude kendrick Bourne's an eddie steady dude like they will nickel and dime you run the football and be more efficient than you like they can do that uh so i i think they're able to score a lot of points and then you know that last game we got of herbert was the first kind of cracking the armor a little bit the ravens played a lot of man coverage sent a lot of simulated pressures and Herbert had an off day. Belichick's willing to do very much the same thing. And he's done it historically. So to me, I uh, love the chargers long-term think This is a bad matchup for him. think the Patriots might win it. I actually disagree. Uh, I think this is a great matchup for them. We were we just go- talking about Damn. this game. Like we were talking about this game yesterday and you gave me no signs of this. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was saving it for yeah. the podcast. Cause uh, I'm a call, professional. Good call. Good call. Good call. I'm willing to bet on this one. Let's bet. Uh, I get to. We get to pick each other's Twitter avatar for the week, if depending on who I wins. Absolutely <laughs> accepted. Though I acknowledge there are far, far, far more bad photos of me on the internet than there are of you. So I am putting up a greater stake here. That should be known. Um, but I'll, I'll accept the Twitter avi photo on this one. Okay. And here's. <laughs> I'm, I'm already laughing thinking of the options I can I can pick for this. But here's why. I, first Steve of all, Steve is also a lot better at Photoshop than I am. This is a bad <laughs> take by me. You give Staley a, a week to kind of figure out what's wrong with the team, and I think he's going to solve. I mean, I think he's going to you know fix some of those issues. I I have trem- a, a lot of faith in him as a coach, but I think the point you hit on at the beginning, where they're so good at taking away explosive plays, I think we're going to see a game where Mac Jones goes like thirty for thirty-two with like a hundred and fifty yards. It's going to be like a five-yard mm-hmm. per attempt day for Mac Jones and I think when you don't have to worry about those explosive plays the Chargers can do different things with their fronts and kind of load up the box and I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to run as well as other teams have been able to run and I do think we have like a warped perception of this Chargers run defense just because they've been playing some hellacious run games like there's no shame to me at least in getting run on by the Browns or the Ravens or and I'm forgetting of the other teams they played, but they played some good run run games. And the Patriots' run game has been okay. I don't I don't think it's been good. I, I know at the beginning of the year that was a talking point that it wasn't good. So I'm not so concerned about that matchup. I think it's a good matchup. And speaking of the Ravens game, in regard to Herbert, I thought he was fine. I watched the film yesterday. Yeah, he was. I tried to steamroll through that. His decision, <laughs> like he made the right decisions. The Ravens were throwing a lot of stuff at him, like you like you alluded to. And the Chargers offense line was having a horrible time picking it up, but it didn't really bother Herbert. He missed some throws, but I don't think it was due to pressure. I think he was just missing throws that he usually makes. But 
like the decision making and where his eyes were going, he knew where to go with the ball. And I don't, I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to do what the Ravens did because I don't think they have the talent, the physical talent that the Ravens do. Last three weeks of football, Patriots rushing offense, sixth best in the league by EPA per play. Above the Ravens, so so I'm an I'm an idiot. I need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I need, I should have looked. How does that taste, Chief? Now it's uh, I think the offensive line getting healthier is, is what I'm I'm banking on here. Mm-hmm. But anyway, all right. So we have a we have a, a, a our first middle of the season games which need game bet which we decided to make live on air. Uh, glad that we've got that <laughs> open now. Uh, Kalen, I have yes, you sir. for Cowboys at Vikings. Honestly, the game I might be most excited for. We do not know the status of Dak Prescott coming into this game, which really makes this a weird one what are you looking at yeah that's the thing so do we buy or sell that the vikings can beat uh dak prescottless cowboys because throughout the season you know there, there's definitely been moments where the vikings have looked the part of a team that's capable of competing with these heavyweights but they they seem to play up or down to the level of their opponent which you know may or may not be a good trait and i think in this case you know especially if dak doesn't play it, it would not be a good sign for their fortunes moving forward if they were to kind of show up and be flat for this matchup. So I'm curious from your guys' perspective where your guys' thoughts are on the Vikings. Here's my main thing with the Vikings. Patrick Peterson's on IR. Bashad Breland, I understand, has been playing good ball. But we're looking at, like, Breland, Cam Dantzler against Lamb and, and Amari Cooper. I don't like obviously Dak matters a lot and if Cooper Rush is starting they're going to blitz the ever living daylights out of him but this feels like the sort of game where you if you can just get targets off to your receivers you're going to be okay like they're going to win their one-on-ones constantly it's a matter of how much does protection hold up but without Pat P I'm terrified for this Vikings passing defense even if Dak can't go because I do not see how they man up and play I this is like similar to the uh the Cowboys Panthers game last month where the Panthers were coming in, they were getting a lot of sacks on bad quarterbacks, and they were doing it with a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I think the Vikings have been, I know Everson Griffin has been good, but they have low pressure rates and a high sack rate, which leads me to believe that Mike Zimmer is doing some of his Mike Zimmer black magic. And (laughs) I'm just like, if Dak doesn't play, the Vikings are going to win. But I'm assuming Dak's going to play. And if (laughs) Dak plays and Mike Zimmer tries to throw that stuff at him, I don't think it's going to work. And I think, like Ben said, if he if he just gets those targets off, it's going to be bad news for the Vikings, and I think he's going to get those passes off because Dak is so damn smart. I think if he has, like, two seconds, that's enough to get mm-hmm. the ball to the right guy. I'm hesitant to, you know, bang the backup quarterback drum here, given the team that I root for and their obsession with the backup quarterback position and how deleterious it's been to the team for the last five years. Go Birds. Mm-hmm. But... It is very odd that we're having like Mike White and Cooper Rush potentially start a game this week. I I a little bit kind of get it for the Cowboys. Like Cooper Rush has been there for a couple of years and they're kind of investing a lot in the defense and trying to go all in. The Jets are just plain stupid. More on that later. <laughs> but you kind of like this is if they drop this game, given the the current picture of the uh, the NFC playoff picture for Dallas. If they right. drop this game cuz they're playing Cooper Rush instead of like you know Gardner Minshew, like Chase Daniel. Who I think, like, if it were Minshew or Daniel, I'd be like, yeah, Cowboys are going to be able to get this one done. Cooper Rush, I'm not as sold. That'll, that's just stupid. You know what I mean? Like, that, like obviously, you can't plan for that. I get that. But that is that is a frustrating thing. And it, it does emphasize why having that guy who, if he has to play for three games, can win at least one, maybe two. That's a really important player to have. 
you say you can't plan for it, but when your quarterback snapped his leg in half last year and, yeah. <laughs> and, and messed up his shoulder last or two months ago, I think you should plan for it. Yeah. Right. I, I, that's what, I thought we were going to see them get Cam Newton or whatever when he initially got released by the Patriots. Mm-hmm. I was shocked by that. Cam would be you, – you pull Cam out, you put Pollard and Zeke in this backfield, you put two tight ends on the field, you just get physical. I, that'd be, I, it'd be actually really fun to watch <laughs> this fun. running game with Cam. Yeah, yeah. Well, we won't get that. Um, but Cowboys-Vikings, Prescott News, as of at this time, 1 p.m. Eastern on a Friday. Nothing yet, but we hope he plays. Our last game, which needs a game, is Steelers at Browns. Kalen – oh, going to church again. Our thoughts and prayers. What are we saying? Uh, thoughts and prayers for Baker Mayfield because, I mean, first of all, when you're <laughs> – I, I don't think the Browns lose too much when they start Case Keenum. I mean, so far, it's only been one matchup, and they played Denver, which has completely fallen apart mm-hmm. um, you know, since starting 3-0. But, I mean, going into this matchup against the Steelers, I mean, obviously, Stefanski is super familiar with Pittsburgh at this point. Um, and, obviously, the Steelers have a very talented defense. They still rank among the best in terms of the pressure rate. Um, they're still elite when you look at the efficiency marks. But if the Browns find a way, you know, by the way, they're like still super injured. If they find a way to piece together a victory over the Steelers this week, um, we're going to need to revisit your article, Stephen, about whether or not, you know, what, what position the Browns are in in regards to eventually – extending baker and you know the whispers are going to become murmurs and eventually yells sooner than we think ben do you know the total of this game i just assume you know every total i would i mean so it's a three-point line i'm thinking it's it's like 43 42 is my guess i'll double check it i'm 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 taking the under that's my analysis of this game i think (laughs) this game is going to be played in the teens and that uh, I think it's a good game on paper, but I'm not going to watch it. What did I say? I said 43-42? Yep. That's 42 and a half. Oh, I'm a okay. sick, sick man. You're a sick person. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> yep. Browns three and a half point favorites. Um, no. So as of Ian Rappaport, uh, he tweeted this out uh, about a half hour ago for us as we're recording. Browns Baker Mayfield received medical clearance last night to play. Is expected to start with a torn left labrum and shoulder fracture. Here's the good part. With full range of motion in his shoulder and his strength back, the medical decision was made. The fracture is healing. Is this man going to get dropped on the second drive on a bad shoulder that's still fractured? He like, needs to not play. Right. I don't he should know. not be playing football. He it, needs to not play. And I, I, get the, I get the fact that people want to see him play because this is supposed to be the evaluation year of him, but I don't think that's necessarily true because they're going to have right. his fifth-year option. They're going to be able to play the franchise tag game. Yep. Like, just sit out, Baker. You don't have to yeah. do this. Right. If, 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 like, Baker being so tough is awesome. And I imagine if Baker were asked this question directly, he would immediately respond with, I'm going to go out there and gut it out for my team because I want to go make the playoffs, win playoff games, yada, 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 which is awesome. But if we are purely orienting ourselves on, on bag maximization and retention, you got to get healthy. Especially because when he was trying to play through the shoulder injury, he wasn't looking too good. Like you, if you're if you're gonna try to play through the shoulder injury the rest of the season, it it might hurt you financially in the long run, which would really really suck. Yeah. I don't want that for Baker. And I, this is gonna be taken negatively by Browns fans, <laughs> but I think the difference between Baker Mayfield and a Case Keenum is an injured left shoulder. So you might as well play Case Keenum. Oh brother.
Okay, Damn. we're moving on. Give me a reason, uh, which is our final segment of the show. Seven games on the docket. This is where we take the worst games of the week. Steven and Caitlin ask me a reason to watch them. I try to give my best reason, uh, and we see the response with either a buzzer or a ding. Seven games on the docket. Halloween theme coming up. What would you guys like to see? I'm, I'm saying convince me to watch Mike White right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> the whole answer is Mike White, unfortunately. So I don't think this is going to go well. Buzzer. Um, anyway, yes. Uh, so this is, again, shout out to our guy, Anthony Reinhardt, uh, who I do not think he knows how integral he is to the show. But it is the Tyler Croft revenge game. Tyler Croft is on the Jets. He used to be on the Bengals. He's a tight end. That's fun. Uh, Mike White. Gave a quote this week. He's the backup quarterback to Zach Wilson. Wilson out with a UCL injury for the next few weeks. Uh, He was at Western Kentucky. Before that, he was somewhere else. I don't remember. He transferred there. He was going to be a first-round pick for a lot of people coming into the 2017 season. Like, I'll fight first-rounder. Davis Webb. He was uh, was taken in the fifth round, which is decisively not the first round. Uh, He's bounced around a couple places. Now here he is. Taking his first career start, and as he said uh, to reporters on Wednesday, quote, I'm starting an NFL game, so that's pretty freaking cool, which is the exact sort of energy I want from my starting quarterback. Like, hey, it's just sick that I'm I'm happy to be here, man. Just stoked that I'm arriving. So uh, this week, watch Mike Fright and the New York Jets against Jesse Norman Bates and the Bengals because it's fun to watch a guy make his first career start. Yep, it's happening Can we every buzzer game. that, too? The, it's happening the Halloween every fun. single game. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Jets-Bengals was never going to be a strong start. There's nothing to be done there. No, no. Yeah. You tried, though. You tried. All right. Six games left. What do we want? Uh, give us Rams at Texans. Ah, Scarin Donald and the Air- and the Rams against David Scully oh, and the God. Houston Texans. <laughs> Okay. They're getting worse. <laughs> Trust me, they do not get better. Uh, this I just is can't wait game. for Urban Meyer. Yeah. Uh, this is the uh, uh, a, a huge revenge game for a Texans star receiver facing a team with whom he once made a lot of noise. I'm talking, of course, not about Brandon Cooks, but about Danny Amendola. Shout out to Danny Amendola revenge game. Uh, oh, that was good. That was good. Thank you. I know I'd get somebody. Uh, in week two, I petitioned that you watch Texans versus Browns because the Tyrod Taylor Houston Texans offense was kind of kind of interesting, kind of fun, and I thought there was a chance that they'd be able to hang with the Browns after a, a big letdown spot. Browns coming off the Chiefs game, and we had that for the first half. The Texans were keeping it close, and then we saw the Tyrod Taylor injury on his quarterback uh, on his little run uh, into the end zone. So this from Mike Clay of ESPN in 1.5 games with Tyrod. Uh, the Texans have scored six offensive touchdowns. In the ensuing five and a half games with Davis Mills, they scored five offensive touchdowns. This offense is much, much, much better with Tyrod Taylor at the helm. And now they get uh, a Rams team, which, you know, big, uh, easy win against the Giants, big, easy win against the Lions, you know, 14-point favorites. I'm going to tell you to watch this game because it's not confirmed that Tyrod is back, but there's a chance that Tyrod's back. And when Tyrod's back... This Houston team is not anything to sneeze at. They can actually hang a little bit. Defensive line, I've been impressed with Charles Amenehu and John Grenard. They can do some stuff. Uh, so to me, watch it because Tyrod was really fun to watch at the beginning of the year, and I want to see him play again. Okay, Chris, we can give him a ding for that. That was good. That was good. That was good. I'll, that started off rough. I'll give you a ding, too, for Tyrod. Also, yeah, Tyrod. Shouts, to, shouts to Davis Mills for being bad enough to, to finally break the Tyrod curse where he gets replaced by a rookie quarterback. Yep. Shouts to him. He got his job. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There was there was an article as I was doing research. I forget who wrote it. My apologies. Uh, 
it was like the the case was what's the point of putting Tyrod back in? The season is is forsaken. Davis Mills had some nice plays. Let's see what the rookies got. And I was like, no, you you can't do it to Tyrod. This is the bar. Yeah. <laughs> see yeah. what Davis Mills Easy. has for what? You're gonna build yeah. around Davis Mills? Yeah, man. For the future, you gotta build around him. Uh, all right, five games left. What do we want? Uh, I said it earlier. Uh, Jaguar Seahawks. I mean, Urban Mike My- Michael Myers. Yes, versus Jason Michael Myers and the Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> which. Uh, it is the Jason Myers revenge game, place kicker for the Seattle Seahawks. You may know him as the guy who lost the game for the Seattle Seahawks against the Saints. Also, and I don't get this, because Jacksonville and Seattle are literally as far away apart from one another as like any two cities in the United continental United States can be. But this is the Shaq Griffin, Jacob Hollister, Carlos Hyde, Jason Myers, Sidney Jones, and Jake Luton revenge game. There are Wait, six players. This was this has been going on for like a decade because when Gus Bradley went to Jacksonville, he kept bringing yeah. in these like old yep. wash Seahawks. So this is like been a thing. Jags and Seahawks, man, just a pipeline. The Gus Bradley across the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, our quick check in on Urban Decay. We obviously didn't get to do it last week because the Jags were on a bye. Uh, after the win uh, in London over the Dolphins, Urban Meyer said it was a great team win. Adding, uh, "quote We need a win. Someone asked me last week if we're desperate for a win. We are desperate for a win. We came close a few times. It was a great win." And then he later called the game a three-hour root canal and said that he enjoyed the locker room after the game more than the actual game. <laughs> um, so Urban this Meyer man is miserable. <laughs> yeah, half of that statement is true. Yep. Suffering through his first win. Uh, just relief at the end of it. He, he put himself uh, on must-win watch, too. Did you hear that? Yes, he did. Right. We were desperate for it. Uh, <laughs> listen, Steven, you're a big Geno fan. Uh, the Seahawks actually favored in this game uh, to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. It is a three-and-a-half point line, as we're talking about it right now. Uh, so come watch Geno Smith uh, get a win, but also watch on the off chance that Jason Myers once again decides this game because the Jaguars cut him because he couldn't hit kicks. And now he's not hitting kicks for the Seahawks. So if we are in a like Seahawks game winning field goal situation, one of these fan bases is going to get screwed by Jason Myers again. And we just don't know which one. The Jason Myers thing isn't going to get me to watch, but letting Gino Gino cook. Yes. I'm in ding (laughs) them. Kalen. Yeah. I'll give you a ding too. Uh, I I like the Jason Myers. though. that was good. That was creative. I feel like it is I'm like in terms attempts. of revenge games, it goes like starting quarterbacks, star players, and then bad place kickers. Like that actually is a fun revenge game. <laughs> like if the Jags lose because Jason Myers hits a kick, Jags fans are gonna be like, "Come on, we cut this guy in 2017. Let's get with it." Four games left. What do we want? Uh, give me the football team at the the Broncos. All right. So this is uh Taylor Frightnicky. That's a good one. That's a good one, Steven. I, that's a good one i might quit the pod <laughs> taylor frightenicky and the washington football team against scary uh scary jerry judy and the denver broncos uh jerry judy potentially back in this game and it's not confirmed but it is expected that he'll be back in this game uh i really struggled with this one so i used my first lifeline of the season uh i tweeted i have a question for the people no ulterior motives here if you're planning on wash it, watching washington versus denver why what reasons do you have I got 124 responses, which is a lot more than I expected, if we're going to be honest. Uh, A few of the highlights, we have uh, Benjamin Albright, who works uh, as a Broncos insider for KOA Colorado, who says, I'm required to attend for my job. We don't really get to work that one, but yep, that's the unfortunate reality for beat reporters covering bad teams is just every Sunday, you got to show up to work. Uh, I had a couple people very earnestly tell me they're interested to see the defensive line matchups, if that interests you, if you're really stoked to see the Washington football team defensive line maybe finally have a really good game. 
It's exciting. The defensive lines don't go up against each other, unfortunately. Uh, yep, <laughs> that's, that's what I've got. Uh, Jesse Sunderland says it's Halloween. I can't think of anything scarier to watch. On theme, we like that one. Yeah. Uh, I got from Christian Williams, who says he's a listener. Since I know how the segment goes, I would say there's an opportunity to watch Teddy Bridgewater get benched for Drew Locke, and I think they'll give you a ding. Yeah. Uh, no, I feel like your, your scary name for uh, the Broncos should have just been Drew Locke. <laughs> so I was thinking about doing just like Aaron Donald. No response. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I like, which is a lot of fun and I will be relying on in the future. This is from Toaster463 at Toaster463. Uh, watching Heineke trying to win that extra 125000 It's the game show. I did not realize Heineke gets a conditional $125,000 bonus with every Washington football team win that he starts in. So every game for Heineke is like three brand new cars, man. This is awesome. Damn, yeah. But at the same time, that's true for every game, and I'm not watching Washington games. But like for Heineke, it's fine. I feel like that's nice. Can we give 120 or however many replies you got, 120 buzzers? Yeah, just just (laughs) inundate it with buzzers. Yeah, uh, a lot of – there are also a good smattering of like earnest Broncos fans being like, excuse you. I was born and raised in Denver. I'm like, guys, this isn't the oh, point. No. This isn't the point. Yeah. I get it. That's nope. fine. That's very nice. You don't get the show. Um, All right. <laughs> damn, ben, ben, I'm sorry. You get, you're getting a buzzer, though. That's, it. You try That's it. very fair because, again, I had to phone a friend for this one. I had nothing. I forgot. Like yeah, half this hour isn't who wants to be a millionaire, bro. Yeah. Like, <laughs> All right. We got three games left. I think it is. What do y'all want? Uh, let's go uh, Panthers Falcons. All right. This is uh, Sam Seeing Ghosts Darnold. And the Carolina Panthers versus Dean Sending Ghost Peas and the Atlanta Falcons. A little scheme joke for you. A little uh, simulated pressures. It's good. good. Uh, Mike Davis revenge game, which actually is an interesting one and a kind of fun one. But more importantly, the potential for the Stephon Gilmore debut. Uh, Stephon Gilmore acquired before the trade deadline a few weeks ago. Uh, potential activate off the pup list this week. Again, as we record on Friday, we're not positive that he's going to play, but Matt Rule is, quote, hopeful that he would. Stephon Gilmore, we got to remember last time we saw him, wasn't at his defensive player of the year levels, but was still playing at extremely high levels. He just wasn't getting targeted as much. So like the counting stats weren't as there, but in terms of like yards allowed per target, yards allowed per route, it was the same stuff. So this is potentially top two, top three corner in the league returning to form for a defense in a team that desperately needs a boost. And we might get him against Calvin Ridley, but also if the Panthers are smart against Kyle Pitts and everybody might've missed it because Jamar Chase was, was rightfully so just absolutely lambasting the Ravens defense. Kyle Pitts right now is emerging into top three in yards per route run, total routes run yards per catch among tight ends. It's not been a big Kelsey season. It's not been a big Kittle season. Waller obviously has had a good season, but he's been out the last couple of weeks. Pitts is pushing to be like the most productive receiving tight end at a position in which like no t- rookies actually do well. Like you rarely see a, a rookie tight end dominate. Pitts might just be better than Kelsey and Kittle and Waller in terms of production in year one which is bananas. So tune in for Stephon Gilmore, one of the top corners coming back and potentially playing Kyle Pitts, one of the top tight ends in the league. That's a good one. I'm going to be honest. This might be your best one ever. Yes. Yeah, I got, I, I, hit, I, hit, I hit a lot of Steven's favorites there. That was a good one. <laughs> and like you had me at the Sam Darnold, Dean Pease thing, because there's a chance that Sam Darnold sees ghosts again with Dean Pease throwing stuff at him. Yeah. Cause Dean Pease is going to throw shit at the wall at him. Like it's going to be hard for him to deal with that. Dean Pease had a good quote this week in availability where he, he was somebody who asked him about like growth and like how the team's developing, whatever. And he was like, we're three and three. We ain't developing nothing. And we're going to go make the playoffs. And like, he got asked later about like pressure and he just like 
do that thing where coaches do where they start like demanding that reporters explain football to them because they're pissed off about the premise of a question. Pease is in like grumpy mode, which is a very good place for a defensive coordinator to be. <laughs> you you had me at Kyle Pitts. Nice. So I'll give you a ding for that too. I also have to watch this for my job, so I have to yeah, talk about it on Sunday. <laughs> Gotta show up. Yo, Chris is being very liberal with the ding today, and I greatly appreciate it. All right, <laughs> two games left. What do we want? Uh, give us the Dolphins at the Bills. Bua Tagovailoa. <laughs> and the Miami Dolphins against Micah Run and Hide and the Buffalo Bills. This is the Matt Hawk revenge That game. one was okay. Run and Hide. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I tried to do a little <laughs> some horror movie things. That was fun. Uh, I also had Tremaine Edmonds, but I decided to switch that one out at the last second. Uh, okay. This is the actual maybe last two a game as a Dolphin. I know I tried to sell you on that. Last week it didn't work. I am mentioning it again. Brian Flores gave as lukewarm of a uh, of a assurance that Tua is his quarterback and they're not training for Deshaun Watson as a head coach possibly can uh, at a uh, presser on Friday. But more importantly, this is a repeat divisional matchup. Uh, the Bills got beat by the Steelers in week one and then faced the Dolphins in week two. This was the game in which Tua got knocked out with his rib injury. The Bills won 35 to nothing. Tua was one for four. He had two sacks, went down with the injury. Dolphins were 0 for four on fourth downs. It wasn't even a good Josh Allen game, and it was abysmal. So this made me wonder. Bills are coming off of another loss. They're coming off of a bye, but they had the loss to the Titans as their most recent game. If they, We've seen the Bills just absolutely beat up on bad teams all year. Let's say they beat up on the Dolphins again. Let's say they shut out the Dolphins again. Has that ever happened in NFL history? And it has, which disappointed me. But the only six times has a team been shut out by an opponent twice in the regular season. Five of them happened between the years 1970 and 1976. I have no idea what was going on with football at that time. I don't know if that's just like the post-merger filter or whatever, but five of them happened then. The most recent one was in 2002 when Stevens Carolina Panthers were shot out by the Atlanta Falcons twice in one season. I remember that season. I hated Michael Vick so much and Algie Crumpler. <laughs> oh, wow. Crumpler. Prime Algie Crumpler. That peerless price then? No, no, that was like two years later, I think. Damn, that was my favorite trio. The Panthers lost 41 to nothing in the first game and then 30 to nothing in the second game. And the Panthers were three and four in the second game. They were winning games. They weren't they a bad team that year. They went like seven and nine. Man. And the next year they went to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You gave up two touchdowns to a man named TJ Duckett. You don't remember who T.J. Duckett is? I don't How remember do T.J. Duckett. T.J. Duckett is... I was oh five gosh. at this time. No, Ben, <sighs> what? I never remember the old players. And yes, 2002 classifies old no, players. No, that's not old. That's I, like okay, I recognize prime. Warwick Dunn. I know him. Okay. Audrey Crumpler. Jay Feely was kicking kicks for the Falcons. Good times. Was Brian Finneran on the team yet? I don't see him on the stat. Oh! He yeah. was. He had one target in one of the games. Shout out there Brian Finneran. Shout out Brian Finneran. So, uh, I'm gonna, anyway. I, I'm going to give you a ding because I <laughs> I feel like over the last two years, the Bills have just been killing the Dolphins. I know the first mm-hmm. game they played last year was kind of close, but I think the Dolphins, like, kind of, dude, that was a garbage time thing. But Josh Allen has just been decimating this defense, and I expect it to happen again. So a lot of points are going to be scored. Yep. Uh, potential for two Dolphins shutouts, Caitlin? Yeah, you, you get a ding. You get a nice. ding. That was good. Thank you, thank you. Last one on the docket is the uh, Devontae Buzzer. Slim. Buzzer. De- Eagles <laughs> lines, buzzer. Devontae Slim Reaper Smith, because that's literally his nickname is Slim Reaper, which is sick, 
uh, and the Eagles against Scared jo- Scared Goff and the Detroit Lions. <laughs> that was, little that scared was good. Goff. Yeah, that was a good I, one. Ding, I ding. It, yep, there we go. Uh, <laughs> this is the Halabulivati Vata. Oh, man. I only put it on here so I could say his name, and then I butchered it. The Halabulivati Vaitai Revenge Game. Also, Darius Slay. Uh, this is the battle of the culturist coaches, most culture boys. Uh, we had Nick Sirianni this past week, head coach of the Eagles, give his beautiful flower metaphor. Uh, the results are happening under the soil. The roots are continuing to grow out. Everybody wants to see results, but as long as we all water, we all fertilize, we all do our part, we'll make sure that thing really pops out and grows. Versus Dan Campbell, and in case you guys forgot, uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. When you knock us down, we're going to get up, and on the way, we're going to bite a kneecap off. We're going to stand up. It's going to take two more shots to knock us down. On the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up. It's going to take three shots to get us down, so on and so forth. Uh, so two of our biggest hype beast coaches uh, playing in what will be absolutely the derpiest game of the week. Watch because the Lions are probably going to win their first game of the year. Yeah, I'll give you a ding because I agree. I think the Lions are going to win this one. And I want to see Dan yeah. Campbell win. It would be, it's going to be legendary. They're going to give him a Gatorade bath. If they give him a Gatorade bath at one and seven, it'll be worth the price of admission. I'll give you a ding too. And it's for the same reason. Like it, it was crazy last week seeing him walk. Like he's, dude, he's, he's legitimate six foot five, six, six, whatever he is. Former yeah. tight end. Walks in there, big burly dude sits down, and like you could just see the tear. And it, oh my god, it, it's someone. I know you're supposed to be objective, but you hope that guy fucking succeeds. Yeah. Absolutely, he, he gave a quote about like what it means to keep competing when you're down, and it was shared on Twitter. And I was like, I want this guy to beat the Eagles. Like I want the Eagles to win, but I also I, I want this guy to win. Like it's just fun to root for him. I said this. Um, in, I said this in Slack the other day. He's the fir- he's the only good NFL coach ever. He's the best coach. He's the, <laughs> he's the first good one. Not Belichick, not Don Shula, Dan Campbell. Oh, and seven, Dan Campbell, baby. Uh, that does it for us. As far as I'm concerned, correlation is causation, and the Halloween puns was one of the most successful what, uh, give me reasons I've ever had. So we might have to keep the Halloween, the, the holiday theme going. Get ready for Thanksgiving puns in week 12. Uh, but that's all for us here on the Ringer Friday NFL show, your Friday walkthrough. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Thank you to Kalen and Steven for joining me. We will recap week eight sunday action kevin nora steven and myself on the sunday evening monday morning pod steven also has a tuesday green room right steven uh with kevin and nora for the trade deadline right so 4 p.m eastern is the current time for that as the trade deadline closes steven kevin and nora will be live recapping that one we of course will be here every friday previewing all the nfl action for every sunday thank you to chris sutton for production on this episode and of course additional production supervision by arjuna ramkapol same time same place next week